It is, uh, it's, it's always, I'm always humbled to be invited to chapel. Um, and because I'm not a theologian, I'm not a pastor, I'm simply a photographer. And I'm, I'm here uh, humbled not just to share with you my story, uh, but more importantly to share with you the people of, of the story of the people that I've had the privilege to document. And so I hope that you hear that uh, this morning of, of really I'm simply sharing with you the, the wisdom and the, and the beauty that I've learned by just doing my job as a humanitarian photographer. And, you know, I, I used to think that, you know, what, what, you know, what really could be so powerful about a, about a camera. I simply just wanted to pick up my camera and use it uh, to serve. And I remember one of my first jobs was in Darfur, Sudan. And, of course, the genocide was going on in Darfur. Uh, it continues to go on in Darfur, uh, especially at, at the border of North and South Sudan. While I was there documenting uh, the genocide with another filmmaker, I was surrounded by SPLA soldiers, Sudanese People's Liberation Army. And one of the soldiers turned to me with an AK-47. And he said, you see all these guns? He said, you know what the most dangerous weapon in this refugee or IDP camp is? He said, it's not the guns. It's your camera. He said, the bullets can only shoot so far, and ultimately they're not going to end the genocide. He said, but your images are boundless. They inspire and it's really during that conversation that I began to feel the weight of the responsibility of being just a photographer. And so I don't know what that is for you, but, um, but the Lord's going to put something in your hands that you think at first, well, I'm just passionate about playing music, or I'm just passionate about playing basketball. But then one day, the Lord might say, you know what? There's power in that skill, and I'm going to use it. And I remember when I was in Darfur, you know, the images that I saw were images that you would expect to see. Unfortunately, some of the images were difficult to photograph. And there's always a fine line between stealing dignity and telling a story. And our, our photographers always struggle with that. Um, and I'm going to talk more about that this afternoon, of kind of just the, the dignity that you want to maintain as you're doing this job as a photographer. But as I've taken these photographs, I saw things that, that I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I was anticipating to see. My heart was somewhat prepared. But the thing that surprised me and brought joy to my heart was the image on the left. And don't take note of, his, of Edward's missing leg, because there's more to Edward than just one leg. Because when I met him, he, of course, he became kind of a, a loyal companion with me as I, as I rolled out of my tent, went out into what the Africans would call the bush area, where the people were fleeing the genocide. And every day, Edward was a loyal companion. And he was right behind me on his crutches, going sometimes a mile into the bush area. And at the end, I asked him, Edward, can I, can I take your photograph? And I didn't ask him to, to, to pose or do anything, but he, he stood up on his crutches. He gave me a thumbs up, and he flashed that beautiful smile. And it dawned on me, here I am in the midst of a genocide. But it dawned on me that, you know, a genocide can take lives, and it can take Edward's leg, but it can't kill his hope. You can't kill that in somebody. And often all we hear of the news, particularly of Africa, is the horrific news, but we don't often hear the hope that lies beyond. And so I was so excited when I was, when I, and I, my camera began to be drawn towards these great images and these, these flashing smiles and this beauty. And I began to say, I, I can't wait to come back to the States and share these stories of hope in the midst of this injustice, this horrific injustice in, in the genocide in Sudan. 
And I remember I took this long flight back. If you guys have done this from Africa, you know how long it is. And I, I landed in New York City. I had one more connecting flight to get down to North Carolina. And I missed my connecting flight by 10 minutes. And the, the flight agent said, sorry, you have to spend the night in the JFK airport here. So, and if you've done that, of course, you can, uh, you can commiserate with, uh, with what that experience is like, sleeping on the floor of JFK airport. And when you're sleeping on the floor of the airport, you know how they had the news playing 24 hours? The same news over and over again? Well, when I, in February of 2007, when I came back and the news was playing, and this is CNN and Fox News, and they're telling me, this is the most important news that you need to hear today. And there are two stories that they were sharing. One was Anna Nicole Smith, and she had died, and who's, who's the baby's daddy was the conversation. Do you remember that? Over and over and over. The next story was this one, which probably many of you would rather forget. Britney Spears had just shaved her head. Now, as you look at these four photographs together, it's kind of funny, but it's, it's kind of not, Right? It's really, it's really an embarrassing reflection of our culture. That in the midst of a genocide, that our conversation, and I'm not just saying the conversation of the secular world, I'm saying the conversation within my church, too, was around Britney Spears shaving her head. Simultaneously, you have 500,000 people being slaughtered in, in Darfur, Sudan, because of the color of their skin or how they choose to worship, including Edward's family. And it, it, it dawned on me as I'm sitting here on the floor of the airport that there, there is got, we have got to change the conversation. We've got to, to challenge, uh, challenge the next generation to go beyond the headlines and consider what else is around the world. And that was really the birth of silent images. And so silent images, we take photographers and filmmakers and we send them out to serve other ministries around the world and to, and to capture and gather those stories in order to educate and also to give back to those people that we've documented. And so we mobilize different photographers and filmmakers to go out and do this uh, throughout the year. Now, you know the conversation hasn't changed. Anna Nicole Smith and Britney Spears, that was 2007. What about today? What is today's conversation? What is put, and th these are the headlines from this past year, and I took straight from the front page of Fox News and CNN.com. there all of a sudden becomes a fine line between what's entertainment and what's education. What's news and what's totally irrelevant. And, and you know, as you look at these headlines, it, again, it, it reflects our culture in the sense of we have this insatiable desire for distraction. Anything to distract us from that which is significant. And we know that beyond the headlines, God is doing awesome work. And there are tragedies also. There's tragedies and there's unbelievable God stories happening. So the challenge for you is not to sit here and say, well, I'm going to ENC, my higher education, I'm educated, and I'm going to just sit back and let the news tell me what's happening around the world. You have got to be proactive. You have got to, to, to train yourself. And, and one, thing, one very practical thing I would, I would tell you to do, ask yourself, what is on your homepage of your computer? When your computer flips open in the morning, is it ESPN.com? Is it Facebook? No, nothing's wrong with those. But my challenge to you would be, put something on there like the BBC or some sort of international news page that at least when you start the morning, you say, God, at least I've got to consider my world. And I may not be able to have, you know, I might not be able to solve the solution of what's going on, 
with uh, human trafficking right now, but God, I can pause right now and pray. Because I, 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 I know what's going on. And if you are having one of those mornings where you're like, I just can't handle any, any, any more bad news, then go past it. That's okay. But at least you're starting your day with some sort of international uh, story or something that's going to draw your heart to be, uh, to be burdened and your, your head to be educated and to say, okay, because your job here is not just to, just to get a GPA. So then you can graduate and get a good job and you can make a lot of money. Although that would be nice. But really what you're doing here is saying, I want to I uh, discover my passion, discover my skill, consider my world, and then graduate from here, hopefully. Hopefully get a good job. Not just to make a lot of money, but to make a difference. So how can I leave here and make a difference if I don't know what's going on around the world and know how the world is broken in places, but also where is God working? And so the challenge for you is to say, how do I make this fade? And then the headlines, new headlines will start to come in uh, to, your, to your site. Headlines like Omar al-Bashir. Here's the man behind the first genocide of the 21st century in Darfur, responsible for those 500,000 lives in Sudan. Aung San Suu Kyi, amazing freedom fighter. Nobel Peace Prize winner. One of our few Nobel Peace Prize winners, the government of Burma or Myanmar is so scared of her, they put her in house arrest because every time she steps out of her house, they gather in the thousands and they scream, freedom. Freedom and democracy for our country. And she represents it. She's the beacon of light. Ladies, who would you rather be known for? Britney Spears shaving her head or Aung San Suu Kyi? then how come we don't see more of her or consider more of what she's doing and say, Lord, have you called me to be a woman like this? Of course, Joseph Coney, who I'll talk a, a lot about this afternoon. Um, I will say this. Um, I've spent a lot of time in northern Uganda, in Gulu, um, the same place with Invisible Children. The whole Everything's been, been going down. I'll talk a lot about that this afternoon. Um, Joseph Coney's not in Uganda right now. He's in the Congo. So the challenge for us is to, is to ask ourselves, yes, what has been done in the past in Uganda, but what is being done today in the Congo? Because you have the longest ongoing civil war right now in the Congo. And you know what it's over, by the way? And I'll talk more about this uh, this afternoon, too. That war in the Congo, we all hold in our hands. How many of you own a cell phone? Raise your hand. You know, there, there's a couple minerals that make our cell phones work. One is called Colton, C-O-L-T-E-N. Our cell phones, our video game systems would not work without Colton. 80% of the world's Colton is found in the Congo. So sometimes we can kind of sit back and say, well, those things are, are bad and they're happening in another part of the world, but what does that really have to do with me? Should I really care? Well, first of all, we should care because we're Christians and we're human beings. We care about those who are broken and those who are hurting. But secondly, when our cell phones stop working because that war has gone bad, you're going to see a lot of angry Americans. And shame on us for only caring when our phone doesn't work. Uh, there's another... How many of you have ever been in the movie theater and you have to turn on your cell phone? I mean, you have to put on your vibrate on your cell phone? Okay, so you use that. There's something called tungsten that makes that work. That is only found in the Congo. That is the only way you're able to do that is because of what that resource war is happening in the Congo. If you've seen the, the movie Blood Diamond, right? 
Uh, remember, that whole resource war was over, obviously, diamonds. We have the same thing going on over these minerals in the Congo. So pay attention, not just to the headlines of Joseph Kony in Uganda. Consider what's happening also in other areas of the Congo. You have people uh, suffering right here. You have homelessness going on right, on right on our front doorsteps, don't we? We just did a documentary film in Charlotte, and I was shocked to hear, as we are doing this interviewing children, we found out there were 3,000 homeless kids just in the city of Charlotte. Homeless kids. Of course, you have a lot of the mothers who are, who are out of work, and so they bring the children with them. So consider the families who are now left on the street right here stateside. Human trafficking. I know you guys have talked about this, and, and hopefully you're familiar a little bit with human trafficking. We have a photographer right now working in Cambodia documenting uh, the ministries who are serving those who, who have been trafficked and been released. But, you know, human trafficking doesn't just happen in Cambodia. You know where the headquarters of human trafficking is in the United States? Atlanta, Georgia. You have close to 400,000 children trafficked right through Atlanta, Georgia. And I know it's happening close to here. So we need to, we need to recognize that, yes, it's happening there, but we need to also have kind of our, um, our, our short lens uh, focused on what's happening within just our perimeter right here near ENC. Um, Haiti. I've made several trips into Haiti. Haiti is one of the first things I tell people about Haiti. It is an absolutely stunning and beautiful nation. Most of us only think of what? The earthquake. And by the, by the way, when's the last time you heard Haiti on the news? Two years ago? Have, have things changed? How many of you have been to Haiti? Ra- raise your hand. If, if you've been to Haiti recently... Uh, does it look that much different right now? Unfortunately, it doesn't. There's still rubble. There's still close to 700,000 people sleeping in tents. They've been sleeping in tents for two years. And, and, and we've changed the station. And we've gone to the next thing that comes. Shame on us. We should say, God, you know, there is, there is something absolutely beautiful about the Haitian people and about that nation. And, and, and what are we called to do? And we're definitely not called to forget what's happening just because it's not on the headlines. Um, abortion. Now, I, I don't know which side of legalized abortion you stand on. It really doesn't matter. The fact is there are, there are over 3,000 children aborted every day here in the United States. Our heart needs to be reminded of that and hopefully inspired to say, God, where do you call me to serve? What gift have you given me, and where am I called to serve? Now, so sometimes the news is totally irrelevant. Sometimes it's not just irrelevant, but it's incomplete. Because when the news puts things in front of you to consider your world, particularly Africa, unfortunately, this is what they put in front of you. Now, how many of you have been to Africa? Is this how most of Africa looks? No. Is this real? Yes. I've documented both. I've documented the famine in Ethiopia, and I've documented the genocide in Sudan, and I've documented the the LRA in northern Uganda, and it's real. However, there is more to Africa than the headlines that often just give us kind of the, uh, the, the horror and, and sometimes lead us to think that it is a hopeless condition. 
There is beauty. There is dignity. There is, there is God working beyond the things that we see in the headlines. And, and there is something uh, amazing happening in, on the continent of Africa. And we've got to pay attention to that and not just, not just allow the headlines to define a continent for us. Because what does this do? Now this, you know, even as the church, and I would say even sometimes more so as the church, if this is how we view the people we're going to go serve, what does that tend to do to our hearts? Who becomes the savior of the world? Who begins to sometimes patronize or, or, or look down upon somebody and say, well, they surely can't help themselves. I must have all the answers. Because I got an iPod and I got money, so I must be smarter. So far from the truth. I want to share with you a couple stories. I met a dead when I was in Ethiopia, documenting, uh, really just writing this book of celebrating the beauty and the dignity of the African women. And I meet her, and, and first thing she says to me, she said, I'm, I'm HIV positive, I have AIDS. She dropped out of school, uh, married at 14. So when she drops out of school, uh, she now loses the greatest thing, ladies, that, that really you're empowered with sitting right here, and that's education. When she doesn't have her education, she's not empowered with anything. She doesn't have a job, no education. Her husband has left her. She's got three children that she's got to feed. Now, unfortunately, in the developing world, when a woman is in this situation, which is very common, there's only one thing that she feels like she can turn to to feed her children, and that's prostitution. She was a prostitute. She said, the only way I felt like I could feed my children was to sell my body. The only thing I felt like I had to give this world was my body. Oh, how Jesus touched women like that, didn't he? He didn't just walk up to someone and give them a loaf of bread and say, carry on. When women like that encountered Jesus, they left changed, didn't they? Well, that's what I love about the missionaries who found a dead because they did not just look at her and give her a handout and say, oh, poor woman, here's a loaf of bread. Would that have helped her? Maybe for a day? But the next night, she'd be back on the street. They looked at her and said, you've got dignity. You've got potential. There is something beautiful in you. And you know what? You do know how to do stuff. You know how to grow plants. So they said, we're going to offer you, and they, they took out $10. They said, we're going to give you a $10 microloan. And then with this $10, we want you to go start a business. And, and we know you, have, you know how to plant, uh, uh, do all these plants and everything, so grow some vegetables and start a business. Well, when I met a dead she had the largest stand on the street. She's a CEO, isn't she? And her life has changed because they did not view her and pity her as somebody with, without hope and without potential. They viewed her as Christ would view her. And they shared the gospel with her. She loves the Lord. And, I mean, the beautiful, beautiful smile that she flashed at me when I grabbed this photograph. I met Richard in northern Uganda. He is a former uh, uh, child soldier. Joseph Coney captured him. He escaped. Now, this is a part of the story. As, as great as this video is of Coney 2012, there's another side of the story. The, the boys in northern Uganda, first of all, there is peace in northern Uganda today. 
And many of these boys have escaped and returned to northern Uganda. And they've returned to the villages that they once raped and pillaged. And you know what those villagers are doing most of the time? They're opening up their arms and they're welcoming back into the villages. There's reconciliation. There is restoration. God is doing an amazing work in northern Uganda, taking these, these people like Richard and reuniting him with his wife and his child, and he's come back. Now, Richard's story is a little bit different. Because Richard, when he came back, there were some people who did not want him back in there. And this happens. And so I love Richard's uh, response to us. He said, yeah, when I came back to the village, there were some people who still didn't forgive me. He said, so you, you know what I do every day? He said, I take my Bible and I go to the villages where the people don't know me and I share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what I do now. I don't carry an AK-47, I carry my Bible. And I go from village to village to village and I just share the, the good news of Christ. There are people, there are story, I could tell you story after story. If you go to our website, we have a documentary film that tells the good news of northern Uganda and the restoration of that land. Also, while I was in Uganda, I had the privilege to meet Fiona and Robert. Robert is sitting here on the left, and he, uh, of all things, now he's a professional soccer player. Of course, in Africa, they call him a football player. But, and, and many of us would think, well, gosh, wouldn't a football player or a soccer player do a soccer ministry in the slums of Uganda? That makes sense. Well, Robert looks at his people a little bit differently sometimes than we do. He said, they can do a whole lot more than just kick a soccer ball. He said, these kids are smart. He said, unfortunately, a lot of them have dropped out of school. And so he said, the one thing I wanted to do in the slums here was do something that continues to engage their minds. And so he said, I'm teaching them a simple game of chess. Because chess teaches children how to problem solve. Now, Robert's also a believer in Christ. He loves to bring the gospel alongside this chess game. But these kids walk in and they learn to engage their minds while they're not in school. Fiona was one of them. Now, it's mostly boys in there. But Fiona walks in. She's looking for a bowl of soup. She's kind of hungry. Her dad had died of AIDS. Her mom didn't have a job. Could not send Fiona to school. So she's nine years old. She's roaming the slums of Kampala, Uganda. Dangerous place for a girl? Absolutely. That's where human trafficking starts. That's where, that's, that's where Adedin gets married at 14. So Fiona is at a very fragile stage. Robert takes her in. says, I'm going to teach you this game. At least engage your mind. She starts to play. She gets really, really good. She got so good, in fact, that Robert said, hey, you're the only girl in here, and you're playing against a bunch of boys who are older than you, but I want to hold a slum tournament and see who the best uh, player is in the slums. Well, at nine years old, only playing for a couple months, ladies, this probably won't surprise you, but guess who won that, that chess tournament? Fiona. She's like, boys, what's so hard about this game? And Robert's watching and he said, gosh, you're really good. You're so good, in fact, I'm going to submit you to the Ugandan Chess Championships. And Fiona's like, me? I'm nine years old. I'm a girl. No, you're going. And when he submitted her, the people of Uganda, the, the administrators of the, of the chess tournament said, don't send us a girl from the slums. Send us someone from the city. What good could come from the slums? Robert said, you give her a chance. So she went, nine years old, returns as the youngest chess champion ever for the entire country of Uganda, which then qualifies her for the continent of Africa. So she goes and represents her country, returns this time at 10 years old, 
as the youngest chess champion ever for the entire continent of Africa. I come back, news starts to spread about this story. I go back two weeks later with an ESPN writer. And ESPN, of course, loves stories like this. And so if you get ESPN the magazine, you would have seen last year that Fiona got an eight-page spread right in the middle of ESPN the magazine. Why did all that happen? Because Robert viewed her as only good enough for a bowl of soup or a handout? No, Robert viewed her as Christ would view her. Robert said, there is, there is potential. And I want, to, I want to love you as Christ would love you. And I want, I want to not just give you things so that I can feel good or, or get the guilt off my shoulders. I really want to transform your life, not just because of me, but because of what Christ has done through me. That... These are the stories of Africa. These are the stories beyond the headlines that we need to say, wait a second, God, you are doing something beautiful there. And the challenge for us as, as, as we go is to say, God, um, yes, the, there are horrible things happening around the world. The, this world is a broken place, and we shouldn't be surprised at that, of Christians, of, of anyone. We should, we should recognize this can be a broken world. But... God is also doing beautiful things, and how can we come alongside those people who are the change agents and those who are on the ground and the leaders on the ground and say, how can we empower you to also change your village and your nation? And, you know, the, uh, there's, there's a great... Um, back in the 1500s, there was a piece of marble that was sitting in Italy, untouched for 25 years. It had cracks all through it, it was, it, was, it was all kinds of imperfections. Different artists looked at it and said, okay, what good, you know, are we going to do something with this piece of marble? I don't know. It just sat and sat and sat. 25 years later, Michelangelo looked at it. And he said, I see the cracks in it. I see the imperfections. But I also see something of potential in it. And he began to chisel and chisel and chisel. And today... Michelangelo offers us one of the greatest pieces of art in the history of the world and in, in the statue of King David. That, my friends, is a story of Africa. We can look at it or any broken place in the world and say, well, yeah, there's cracks and it, it's not perfect. Okay, and we could just dismiss it or only view that or we could say, you know what? There is so much potential there. And not feel the burden for us to pick up the tools and feel like we are the saviors of the world, but how can we put the tools and the people like Adedin and Fiona and say, you chisel away. I want to see what you're going to do with your village. I want to see what you're, what you're going to do to restore your land. And God, how can we work as a team and not just us view them as somebody just is, is only worthy of a handout, but more worthy of a handout and more worthy of a relationship and it's also, it's not only the story of Africa, of this piece of marble, it's the story of us. Because as you're sitting here, you're probably going, gosh, God, I don't know what I can offer. I mean, I know what Adedin had. She had $10. That was, that's what was in her hands. I know what Fiona had. She had a simple chess piece. I use a toy. I use a camera. The question for you as you're sitting here also is saying, God, what's in my hands? 
God, what's, what is in my hands that I have that somehow you can use to change? And it might, might, might not be change the world, although that would be great. But God, what have you called me to do just to bring beauty to the corner of my canvas? Because most of us are going to have a thin paintbrush. I mean, of course, there, there might be a Billy Graham in here or Martin Luther King, and those are the wide paintbrushes that impact so many around the world. But most of us are given a thin paintbrush, something that just says, I'm called to bring beauty to, to, to my corner of the canvas. God, how are you going to use me, broken as I am, and to recognize that we are broken, and that's okay. That's, part, that's the beautiful part of this journey of going through classes. It's not you're working for a GPA I almost said, who cares about a GPA? But I don't, I don't want to say it. A GPA is important. Uh, let me tell you, the only, the only class I ever got D's in was English. And if you were to ask my teachers in high school who's the least likely to ever have his name on a book in Barnes & Noble, they probably would have said David Johnson. And, and you know, in some ways, they were right. And I knew my weaknesses, but I also began to, to hone in on, on what I was good at and say, God, I know I'm not good at some things, but Lord, you've called me to, to also do something other than just focus on my weaknesses. And so I, I challenge you guys as you leave here um, to be encouraged. Do not feel the burden to solve all the problems of the world. It is not your responsibility to solve all human trafficking and solve genocide and capture Coney. Okay? You are called to do something. And you are called to love on people the way Christ would, to encounter people like a dead in the way Christ would. I've, as was said, I'm going to continue the conversation and have some more Q&A uh, around a, a, a variety of, of topics this afternoon at, at 3.30. Um, and the most important part of this is that chapel credit is given. So, uh, so please come out. I'd love to have conversation. I'd love to hear from you and have some dialogue with that. Um, let me close with a, a benediction and a prayer and then we will, we will head out. I give you these words as a reminder. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To act justly, love mercy, and to recognize where we're broken as we walk humbly with your God. Thank you. Okay.